Good morning, and thank you. And Penny, how I have missed hearing you sing. Okay. Before I pray, I want to give a shout out to Sandra, who filled in for me while I was vacationing. Thank you so much. I heard awesome, awesome things about that. I appreciate your helping out. Um, Let's pray. (laughs) Father God, we praise you for this glorious day. I praise you for the chance to be able to come here and to gather. And and this morning, as we as we study and we talk about prayer, I pray that you'll just open our eyes and help us to hear your voice and help us to learn and understand. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, who said this? The first thing I do when I start my day is I get down on my hands and knees and I give thanks to God. If I can start my day out by saying my prayers and getting myself focused, then I know I am doing the right thing. That 10 minutes helps me in every way throughout the day. You want to guess who that is? It is a celebrity. Yes. Oprah. Yeah, that was good guess. (laughs) Oprah. She said Oprah. Okay, no, not Oprah. Anybody else want to guess? Oh, you said Oprah. Oprah, yes. Okay. Steve Harvey. Okay, good guess. Okay, no. It was Mark Wahlberg. Supermodel Miranda Kerr claims to pray every day. It was something that her grandmother taught her. Justin Bieber tweeted that he prays before every show. And by the way, he has a tattoo of praying hands on his legs. Beyonce. She posted a prayer on her Instagram asking God for discernment. Following any major shooting or tragedy, all the celebrities and politicians, they will tweet something about their thoughts and prayers. Now, as I was researching this, I was trying to find statistics about the lack of prayer in our country, in America. And as it turns out, there is no lack all, it turns out that Americans do pray, or at least they claim to pray. According to the United, the U.S. News and World Report, 84% of Christians pray or claim to pray at least once a day. Now that number jumps up to 95% among Muslims. Reader's Digest had a story with the byline, organized religion may be losing members, but prayer is more popular than ever. The article went on to explain that prayer is a fixture in most of our lives and takes countless forms, even among people who claim to be atheists, agnostics, and unbelievers. Eight out of ten Americans pray daily. Prayer is popular. Bible intake, not popular. (laughs) Prayer, popular. The readers, one reason, according to the Reader's Digest article, is that it is so flexible and customizable. Now, in contrast, in 2005, Lifeway Christian Resources, they did a survey. They surveyed 1,300 evangelical leaders from around the world to determine what they perceived to be the top 10 issues facing the Christian church. 
Things like abortion, the pressure to accept same-sex marriage, apathy, a decline in evangelizing, the need for discipleship, they all made the list and with good reason. But the number one concern among evangelicals from around the world was prayer. The need for more ongoing, passionate prayer in both personal and church life. And while four out of five people are supposedly praying, many ministers suspect the focus of those prayers often may be more on the individual's own needs rather than on the spiritual needs of others and on the kingdom of God. Now, why is that a problem? And is it? And is prayer flexible and customizable? And is it something for atheists and agnostics? And what about this once a day thing or this 10 minutes in the morning? What about that? Are those good goals? Well, this morning we want to discuss the discipline of prayer. And to do that, what I'd like to do is work through those six basic investigative questions. We're going to work through it quickly. And here we're going to start with the first one. What? What is prayer? What is the discipline of prayer? Now I have two handouts going on there. The first one says this. The discipline, number one, the discipline of prayer is the intimate pursuit and practice of the personal communication we have available between God and us. Now, if you did your homework, you read that the author believes that discipline is second only in importance to Bible intake. Okay, he also describes prayer in a couple of different ways. He said it was an activity. He said it's a relationship. He said it's a conversation with the living God. Now, most of us grew up thinking that prayer is our talking to God. And we're going to find out this morning that that's true, but there's more to it than that. All right, that's what? Let's talk about who. Who should pray? Who can pray? Can the atheist and the agnostic pray? And what about the politician that never mentions God except whenever there's a tragedy? What about him? Well, the author had a number of good points and verses to read about this. And here's our next point. Number two, God expects every believer to pray. And every believer can have a satisfying, meaningful prayer life. Very simply, prayer is for believers. All right. Now, except for the prayer that's leading to salvation, the unbeliever has no expectation or assurance that God will answer his prayer. Okay, remember, prayer is a conversation. It's a conversation for those in relationship with God. All right, now, why do we pray? Lots of reasons for this one. Uh, We could say because God commanded it. We could say because God answers it. We could say because it's good for us. We could say that it's the way that we engage in spiritual warfare. um, The author had a number of things. He expounded on this. We're going to condense. Number three, why do we pray? We will not be like Jesus without it. Okay, next, let's talk about where and when do we pray. These two really go together. And we're going to go right into our next point. Number four, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, what does that mean? And how can we possibly hope to obey that? Well, the author explains that this is speaking of our unbroken relationship with the Father. He gave a neat example. He compared it to communicating with God on one line 
while taking calls on another. Even while you're taking calls on the one line, you never lose awareness of your need to return your attention to the Lord. Now, uh, Stephen Rummage, he's our former pastor. He has a book on prayer. Listen to what he wrote. He put it this way. God wants us to live and breathe in an atmosphere of prayer. A fish swimming in the water is in its ideal atmosphere. The fish doesn't wake up in the morning and think, I believe I'll go swimming today. Because water is the fish's environment and its only possible response is to swim. In the same way, God wants prayer to become our environment as natural to us as breathing. Okay, that, that is a great way of describing what it means to pray without ceasing, to be in that continual, unbroken relationship where there is an environment for conversing. All right, here's our next point, and it's from the book. Number five, when and where praying without ceasing means you never really stop conversing with God, you simply have frequent interruptions. Okay, what about where? Where can we pray? In the Bible, we see people pray from inside a fish, from inside a prison, from inside a cave, inside a garden. They pray anywhere at any time. And it's the same for us. So as you're doing your laundry, as you're driving in the car, as you're standing in the grocery line, we can pray. Okay? We want to be like the fish in water where prayer is as natural to us as breathing. George Mueller, he was said to have spent three to four hours in set-apart focused prayer. Martin Luther, he too was said to have done the same. E.M. Bounds, he was a Methodist preacher and writer that lived during the Civil War era. He was said to rise every day at four and pray until seven. All right, now that kind of praying is a little different than throwing up a prayer in the grocery line. Okay, that's what we would call sustained prayer. These men were disciplined in prayer. Now, is that kind of prayer just for famous people? God says we're expected to pray. Are we expected to pray like that? All right. Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 1? Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 35. Mark 1.35 says this, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Okay, now turn back to the book of Matthew, Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus is speaking. When you pray... You are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their full reward. They have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. John Piper had this to say. He said, unless I'm badly mistaken... One of the main reasons so many of God's children don't have a significant prayer life is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. Our author added this, 
Christians spend little time in sustained prayer. While they may offer a sentence of prayer here and there during the day, they rarely spend more than a few minutes, if that, alone in conversation with God. Okay, in other words, they're both suggesting that we are doing the spontaneous prayer. A sentence here, a sentence there. We got that. We're doing that. The statistics bear it out. 85% of us are praying about something at least once a day. But what we're not involved in is sustained prayer. And Piper and the author are suggesting that we don't plan for it, and then consequently, we're not doing it. All right, so here's our next point, number six on your paper. As with Bible intake, we must plan and prepare for times of sustained prayer. Now, in the homework, the author gave a number of reasons on why that's not happening, why we're not praying, why we're not disciplined in prayer. Sometimes it's because we're busy and we're distracted and we just lack discipline. Sometimes it's because we don't know how. We hear of Mueller and Bounds and Luther, and we wonder, how did they do that? How did they pray for three hours? I mean, how many different ways can you say, please bless me, and please bless so-and-so, and thank you for this lovely day? Now, the author states that he finds one of the most common issues to be boredom. He says, when we pray, we tend to say the same old things about the same old things, and we get bored. Now, he is very quick to point out that if you are saved and you have the indwelling Holy Spirit within you and you find prayer boring, the problem is probably not you. It is probably your method, your method. And he suggests a method. And we want to talk about that today. Um, I would like you to find your second handout. This is a, it's going to look like this. It should be stapled. It says, praying the Bible, verses in practice. And what I've done is I've just printed out some of the verses that we're going to look at. The first one on the top is Jeremiah 23, 29. And it says this, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters rock? Okay, now, assuming you're a believer and that you have the Spirit of God living in you, what is the foundation for heated, passionate, shattering prayer? What's the key to breaking through boring, bland, lifeless prayer time? Okay, look at the next uh, verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, it's on your paper. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Okay, let's talk about how should you pray. Well, for starters, Jesus is saying that you're not to pray like the unbeliever. You have the Spirit of God living in you. You're not to pray meaningless, boring, bland repetition like an unbeliever. The Bible tells us that God's Word is like a fire. God's Word is like a hammer. God's Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. What's the anecdote for praying meaningless, Boring repetition, pray the word of God. A believer with the spirit of God praying with an open Bible. George Mueller, he was said to have prayed with an open Bible. Corey ten Boom, Robert Murray McShane, 
prayed with an open Bible. The Puritans, they were known to have prayed with an open Bible. John Piper, he prays with an open Bible. I was having lunch one day with one of my sons, and he and his Bible study group had just finished studying and reading Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. I highly recommend the book. It's a short read. It's wonderful. It helps you explain step by step how to pray the Bible. And he was very excited about it. And he said, why hasn't anyone ever told me about this before? And I said, didn't I teach you that? <laughs> and he said, no. No, I've, I've gone to Christian school. I've been in church. I went to Christian university. And this is the first time I'm hearing about this. Okay, that's, that's sad, and I don't want that to be the case with our group here on Monday morning. So that's something that we want to talk about. We want to spend some time talking about a method of praying, and since all Christians are expected to pray, this method is going to be simple enough for all Christians, even your children. So what exactly is the method? Let's be very clear, and that's going to be our next point. Number seven, under how. When you pray... Pray through a passage of scripture, particularly a psalm. When you pray, pray through a passage of scripture. Boom, that's the method. Now, one of the best ways to learn how to pray is to practice. Now, should you read books about prayer? Yes, there are great books about prayer. Read them, you can learn a lot. Should you listen to good sermons about prayer? Yes, there are great sermons about prayer. Listen to them. You'll learn a lot. Now, should you um, read books about people who prayed? Should you listen to the way other people pray? Absolutely. Do all of that. It's all beneficial. But the best way to learn is to practice. Okay. Listen to what Andrew Murray wrote. He said, reading a book about prayer, listening to lectures, and talking about it is very good. But it won't teach you to pray. You get nothing without exercise, without practice end quote. In other words, we need to do it. Okay. So this morning we're going to practice. I'm going to walk you through a couple of things. I'm going to give you a couple examples of how this would work. And then I want, when you go to your small groups, I want you to practice this. Now, as always, it will be entirely volunteer, voluntary basis. Uh, there's never any pressure for you to participate. But, I would, but those that are interested, I would encourage you to do that. And those that don't, you can listen and learn. Now, our author in his book, Praying the Bible, he makes a very compelling case that the Psalms, that's the perfect book to pray. He said it's designed for this very thing. It's a book that tells us about God. It's a book that tells us about worship. It's a book that addresses every imaginable feeling and emotion. So it's the perfect book. Now, um, his book takes you through Psalm 23, step by step. You can also go to YouTube, Google his name, on, or go to YouTube, search his name, and um, Donald Whitney will come up and he's teaching a class and he walks them step by step how to pray the Bible. So that's another way that you can learn more about it too. All right, so consequently, because he does Psalm 23, we're gonna do something different. All right, I'm going to, uh, I have printed out on your paper, the next set of passages is from Psalm 118. That was the Psalm that I was to read on the day that I was putting this lesson together. So we're gonna walk through it uh, phrase by phrase. And, and when I'm doing this, I just start, I go through phrase by phrase. You could speak it. I type things on my uh, typewriter, so I'm a typer, but uh, that's how I go through it. 
And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take things a phrase at a time, and I'm going to use the language of God to speak to God. Now, I'm going to show you how, what I mean. All right, verse number one says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. All right, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to obey this verse. So it's, I would pray, Lord, I want to just thank you. I want to thank you that you're good. I want to thank you that you are not corrupt and wicked like all these other leaders that I see. You are good. Thank you. Right now, all I've done is what the verse told me to do. And the reality is that had I not read it, had I not made this a part of my practice, I'd have gone through the day without doing that. All right. Next verse, or next part of the verse. It says, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Here's what I'd pray. Lord, thank you for your love and your kindness. Thank you that it's everlasting. Thank you that it isn't temporary. Thank you that it doesn't expire. Okay, all I did there was I'm just putting that verse in my own words. All right, now, one of the things that I have found when I pray the word of God, I pray a lot more about God. I pray a lot more about his glory. I pray a lot more about the spiritual needs of other people rather than just bringing before him this list of people that are sick that I know. Okay, now, um, uh, here's the next verse. It says, oh, let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. All right, now his words are going to become my springboard. So I'm thinking, oh, Lord, let my country say your loving kindness is everlasting. My, my country is very wicked and far from you right now. So it's going to take a work of God for my country to be able to say that. But I'm praying that for, for our country. All right, next it says, oh, let the house of Aaron say his loving kindness is everlasting. So I think, oh, let the, let the house of Geisler say your loving kindness is everlasting. Let my church, Hickory Grove, let it say your loving kindness is everlasting. May they understand what that means. May they love you for it. Okay, now next, verse four. It says, oh, let those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is everlasting. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Now, usually when I read something, that line there that says, from my distress, I called upon the Lord. I will usually think about the people in my life that are in distress, Maybe they're people that have asked for prayer. They're going through a hard time. They need a job. They've been sick. And this is like, this is where they come to mind. And so I begin to pray about them. I insert their name. I insert their need. And I might say, oh Lord, uh, I, 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 would you hear their prayers? They cry out to you. Will you set them in a large place? Now, now sometimes I'll read something like that and I'll think, you know, Lord, I don't really know what that means to be set in a large place, but it sounds, it must be good. So will you do that for them? And if, if I don't understand something, a lot of times I'll just confess it. Lord, I don't really understand that. Now, sometimes if I were teaching, I would stop and I would try to learn what that meant. Usually when I'm praying, I keep going. And oftentimes as I'm praying, uh, things will become more clear as I pray. All right, but notice all that I'm doing. I'm just taking things a phrase at a time. Uh, sometimes I'll use a phrase. Sometimes I'll look at the whole verse. But I'm talking to God about whatever comes to mind. Now, I'm going to use the language of the Bible to talk to God. Now, if I'm reading a verse and nothing comes to mind, I keep going. 
There may be times that I come up with one little verse and I just pray a whole page. And then there'll be other verses I, I just, I, I don't. All right, now, the author, like I said, he says that the Psalms are a great place to start. They were written for this very thing. And he suggests praying the Psalms of the day. Now, what does he mean by that? That's a part of this method. He, tells, he explains there are 150 psalms. There are 150 psalms. And so by dividing them by 30, which is about the number of days in a month, that gives you five psalms. Now, here's the formula. I have it on your paper, number eight. You would take today's date. That would be the 14th. And you add 30 to that. That's going to give you 44. Add another 30. That's 74. Another 30 is 104. And then your last psalm would be 134. Okay? Boom. You got, your, you got five psalms of your day right there. Now, on the months that there are 31 days, he suggests praying through Psalm 119 and just taking the month to go through that. Now, the nice thing about this method is you wake up, you figure out the date, and you know immediately what verses to pray. You don't have to think, oh, gee, where should, where should I go today? What should I pray? You immediately have some type of idea. Now, he recommends that you take a brief look at all five of the Psalms and choose the one that most reflects your need for where you're at in that day. Now, for me, I've just, I guess I've gotten lazy. So I've decided I wake up, okay, this month I'm going to add 30 to the date and that's what I'll do. Next month, I'm going to add 60 to the date. Next month, 90. The idea here is you want to be systematically going through the Psalms and that you have some type of structure so that when you get up, you can, you can get going. All right, now, obviously, Psalms are not the only place to uh, the verses you can pray. You can pray using all scripture. However, some passages are going to be more conducive to the method. All right, now the New Testament letters, these are also a great place to start and use because virtually every line is something to pray. Not only that, you have prayers throughout the um, New Testament letters. Now, what I've done is I've also included um, a portion of First Timothy because I like to pray a little bit of the Psalms and then I like to pray a little bit of the New Testament. And this particular time, I was going through the book of First Timothy. And so, uh, the day that I came, that I'm going to share about is uh, the day I came to Timothy chapter 3. So that's on your paper. It says, 1 Timothy 3, chapter, one, ver chapter 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Okay, now I could pray that in a couple ways. I could say, Lord, please help me trust this statement. Or Lord, please give me the right kind of desires but in this particular morning, the word aspires really caught my attention. And so I found myself praying, Lord, would you please raise up men that will aspire to the office of overseer? Would you help the women in our church raise up sons that will aspire to the office of overseer? Now, from my studying, I had a pretty good idea that overseers were pastors, but I'm not exegeting the passage to get ready to teach. I'm just praying through it. So as I looked at that word overseers, deacons came to my mind. And I thought about the time that I was on the nominating committee. And, and when you're on the nominating committee, you have to come up with hundreds of names for deacons. And that can be a very hard job because not everybody's qualified and not everybody's interested. And so I began to pray, Lord, 
Could you raise up men in our church that would aspire to be deacons so that that list is overflowing? Would you raise up moms that'll reign, that'll raise up their sons who will aspire to be deacons? Well, then that got me thinking of something else. That got me thinking of a conversation I had had with Kyler, with Kyler Smith. And he had been relaying how difficult a job it is to just staff our children's department. And so I began to pray, Lord, will you raise up men and women that will aspire to oversee our children's department and that they would be qualified and that they would be faithful. All right, now, I want to be very clear. Am I saying that's what the passage means? No. Am I saying that's how you should interpret it? No, 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 no. All I've done is I've used the words that I was praying and, and the things that have come to mind and, but still, pray biblically. Listen to what the author says. This isn't reading something into the text. It's merely using the language of the text to speak about what has come into your mind. Now, here's the, thing, here's the really neat thing. I've just prayed about several things that I would never ordinarily pray for. You know why? Because I'm too self-centered. And I'm very forgetful. And just quite frankly, I don't know how to pray. But you see, when I have my open Bible and I'm praying, that's solving that. That's helping that. All right, now, let's keep going. Verse 2 said, an overseer then must be above reproach. So guess what I'm going to pray? I'm going to pray for my pastor. Could you help him be above reproach in everything he does? Oh, in fact, help me be above reproach in everything I do. Help my children. Help my husband be above reproach in everything we do because I can see this is something you value. All right, and it moves on. It says, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Now, what's going on here? The word of God is giving me my prayer list. Now, sometimes I might take those apart and pray over them very slowly and specifically. Sometimes I might lump them all together. I might say to the Lord, Father, can you help my pastor aspire to these things? Can you help those in the true church that are overseers? Can you help them aspire to these things? Can you help them teach it to us? Can you help us want to do these things? Can you help the women of Abide raise up sons that will value these qualities? Now, here's the beauty of this. I can pray that with such confidence and passion because I know it's what God wants. I don't have to pray, oh, Lord, if this is your will, uh-uh-uh, I know it is. I know it is because I have his word. All right, now here's the next point. Pray about things God wants and your prayer life will know more boldness and passion. I have found that when I pray God's word, my prayer time passes quickly. I don't run out of things to pray about. And my mind doesn't wonder like it used to. Now, if it does wonder, particularly if I'm worried about something, then, then I just, I rein it in and it's, I pray over it and I confess it. Now, what about praying the narratives? <clears throat> Much of your Bible is narrative. So what can you do? Can you pray that? Well, yes. All of God's word is profitable for praying. 
but your narratives, they're probably going to work a little different. With the Psalms and the New Testament letters, you're going to be praying microscopically. Okay, you're going to be able to take things a phrase at a time. Now, when you're praying narrative, you're most likely going to be looking at the big picture. The author talks about um, that the narratives often have what he calls stage setting verses. And then you kind of come along and you have the punchline. And so when you're praying a narrative, you might either focus on just the punchline or what the big picture is rather than the um, actual uh, details of the story. Now, what I've found often is when I'm praying, sometimes a story, a narrative will come to my mind and then I'll incorporate that into my praying. Now, by way of a side note, you want to teach your children this. Okay. You don't want your children to say what mine did. You know, why didn't you teach me this? All right. So now as you're reading the Bible or maybe as you're helping them study their Awana verses, you can say to them, okay, how, how can we turn this into a prayer? When you're reading them a Bible story, you can ask them, what should we pray for? How can we pray this? Here's our next um, point. Number 10, teach your children to pray God's word. David Platt has an excellent ser uh, sermon on his website, radical.net, called Pray. And he walks his congregation through a system very similar to this. And he invites the congregation to participate. And little children come and speak into the um, microphone. It's very sweet and worth checking out. Okay. Several weeks ago, we talked about the importance of meditation. That was a very big part of this week's lesson. Uh, you read a lot about that. The authors had this to say. He said, we learn to pray by meditating on scripture. For meditation is the missing link between Bible intake and prayer. Now, I want to go through one more example of this, of praying God's word, in particular, how it works together with Psalm 103. So... Uh, it's on your second page, that, that second page of the stapled part. Let me give you some background. One morning before the holidays, I got up to do my praying and I felt like a complete basket case. I was stressed out. And um, so instead of starting my prayer time with praise and adoration and a psalm, um, like you're supposed to, I decided I started with venting and complaining. I uh, began to tell the Lord, I feel like I am going to have a nervous breakdown. I am completely stressed out. I've got the holidays coming up, and I don't have a clue how I'm going to get the cleaning and the cooking and the laundry all done before the celebrations and the company arrives. I am stressed out about shopping and getting all the gifts bought and getting them all wrapped and getting them organized and making sure I'm fair and, com and nobody's slighted. I was stressing about that. I had um, a number of near-end near, um, year deadlines coming due, and I was stressing about that. There were things going on in my children's lives, and I was stressing about that. Now, I um, knew that God's Word says that I am not to stress about anything. Instead, I am to pray about everything. And so I thought, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm doing that now. I'm, I'm making my list of all these things that are making me feel like a crazy woman. Now, I'm looking at that list, and it's all filled with worldly and temporal things, and I knew that. I knew that there were people in my life that were struggling with, with, 
with serious issues and, and hardships and pain. But the truth of the matter was, I was stressing about that too. So I, I added it to my list and I typed it all out. And when I came to the bottom of my list, I asked the question, okay, Lord, what do I do with this? I am overwhelmed. I am stressed. I am a basket case. How do I handle all this? How do I keep a perspective on this? And then I turned to my psalm of the day, which was Psalm 103. Now that tells me that my breakdown and my meltdown was on December 13th. Now, but I want you to look with me and see what I, what I read. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So what do I do? I've just poured out all my junk to the Lord. Now I'm taking a deep breath. I'm going to stop. I'm going to take a deep breath. And I'm going to do what this verse says. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And you know what I did? I sang it. I sing a lot during my prayer time because God's word tells me to. So I sing, bless the Lord, O my soul. You wouldn't want to hear it. I'm not a good singer. I, I bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And I sing it several times. And then I move on to verse 2. Verse 2 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Okay, now that's an interesting phrase. Because I've just given him a list. I've just given him a list. And it's as if he's heard that list. And he's saying, oh, forget none of my benefits. You want to make a list? Let's make a list. <laughs> you just made a list of your worries. Now we're going to make a list of my benefits. Next verse. <clears throat> he says, who pardons all your iniquities? So what am I going to do? I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to thank him. Lord, thank you that you have pardoned my iniquities. I may confess them at that point. Next, he says, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things. Now, as I read each one, I may spend some time praising and thinking and reflecting on each one of those. Now, I continued to work through those a phrase at a time, but I'm, for, for today's time's sake, we're going to skip to verse 11. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. <clears throat> now, I notice the words loving kindness again. And I notice the word those who fear him. Now, I've just told him about all my worries and my stresses. That list I made was a list of fears. And he has told me, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. But I keep reading. I go to verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. All right, now that's the second time I've read those who fear him. And so I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I, you are telling me I am to fear you only you. That's your message. I've got this long list of fears and you're telling me I am to fear only you. But notice how he describes himself. Notice what he compares himself to. A compassionate 
father. I am only to fear a compassionate father. Now I have children and grandchildren that I desperately love. So I have a little bit of understanding about a parental compassion. And so as I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, is there a sweeter picture that God could give me right now than that of a loving father and that of a father scooping me up in his arms and saying, okay, daughter, let's get your fears right. Let's get your fears corrected. Move on to verse 17. I worked through those came to verse 17 says but the loving kindness of the lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear on him and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them the lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all bless the lord you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts. You who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Now I've just taken a list of all my complaints and worries and stress before the Lord. And what has he communicated to me? What has he revealed to me? He's told me, he's assured me that he is loving and kind and compassionate, that he is strong and that he is mighty and that he is sovereign and that he rules over it all and that he has angels that are mighty in strength and do his bidding and do exactly as he tells them. He's answered my question. He's told me what I'm to do with all my stress and worries that are bubbling up inside of me. He says, you bless me. You bless me with everything you've got. And you forget none of my benefits. You remember, I am the one that pardons your sin. And I am a loving God. And I am kind. And I am powerful. And I am mighty. I am a compassionate father. I am a God that can be trusted. I will have to learn that over and over again. But that morning, the nervous breakdown was averted. And here's our last point. Number 11, meditation should be united with prayer. Let's pray. Father, we know your word tells us that you expect us to pray. And you've given us your Holy Spirit and you've given us your word. And so I pray that we'll be faithful. We'll be faithful to be women that pray, that discipline ourselves for prayer. And I pray that as they seek you in your word and pray to you through his word, I pray you'll meet them and make their prayer time like fire and passionate. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.